I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life, stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to episode nine of I Used to Be a Therapist. This was a really fun episode for me. I got to interview my friend, Dr. Nick Satello. Nick and I went to school together in both our master's and doc programs. We are actually neighbors, we are friends, and our life intertwines in many different arenas. I am so grateful for that. Dr. Satello is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's worked for the Oregon Youth Authority for over 20 years and maintained a private practice as a therapist and clinical supervisor for much of that time as well. About a year and a half ago, Nick changed his direction, and he has developed a flourishing practice as a life coach. He's the creator of The Upgraded Life, a coaching business that also has a podcast that I know you will want to check out. Nick lives close to me in Salem, Oregon, with his wife and two boys. He loves being a dad, duck hunting, and all things sports. In our interview, we talk about Nick's move from counseling to coaching. But this episode is definitely for everyone, not just counselors. It's for everyone who wants to know how to take skills they have and change directions to create a new life, an upgraded life. We talk about identifying barriers in life that are keeping you from reaching your goals. We all have them. We talk about mindset and we talk about the difference between counseling and coaching and why we all need a coach. I'm thankful that Nick and I had a chance to chat. You will want to hear all he has to say. Let's listen in. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Sotelo. Thank you likewise for having me, Dr. Bruton. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Yeah, what a treat. It's fun to get together. Even we're really close, right? We we live really close, but we're not in the same room. This thing called COVID-19. Yeah, so (laughs) we're being compliant and practicing appropriate social distancing. Well, before we get started, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and your family, who you live with, all that stuff. Sure. Uh, Most people call me Nick. My name is Nick Sotelo. I am 42 years old, and I am in Salem, Oregon. I've lived here pretty much my whole life, and enough to have those Oregon web feet for sure. I'm married to my lovely wife, Angela. This is our 20th year. We'll be celebrating that in, in June. I have two sons. Oldest uh, is 16. His name is Jabin. And my youngest is 12. His name is Conrad. And they are both bored to tears. We're a big <laughs> baseball family. So we're missing out on, on spring sports and baseball. So um, Quite a change. Yeah, quite a change. The, the great pause of, of 2020. Yeah. Um, what do I do? That's always an interesting question for me. So, you know, I primarily do 
three, maybe four things. Uh, one thing that I do is in terms of a career, finished 20 years working for the state of Oregon uh, in youth correction. So I worked for the Oregon Youth Authority and I started in 1999 working there and I've held lots of positions, worked in several different facilities. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that I do. I've worked there for 21 years. Well, you do a bunch of other things and we're going to hear about those. So today I want you to tell your story of how and why you went from being a therapist to being a coach. That's basically what we're going to talk about. So you and I went to school together. We went to school together, both in our master's and our PhD, becoming counselors and uh, counselor educators. So you now have a big vision of what your life is going to look like in a few years and what it looks like now, even in comparison to what you thought it was going to look like now, right? It's very different than maybe if I would have asked you the same question three years ago, or I don't know, three, would you suppose even three years ago? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. three years ago, for sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you. You are a therapist. I am. By title. You are a therapist. (laughs) Yeah, of course. A licensed marriage and family therapist. So I do want to hear about your moving now toward coaching and life coaching and business coaching. And I want to hear kind of your journey. So the journey, uh, you know, for sure three years ago, if you would have asked me, uh, hey, Nick, what you should think about being a life coach, I would have laughed at you because I would have, uh, I would have repelled from from the the phrasing and the title and just the concept you know I, I viewed coaching and life coaching as a you know dangerous reckless dumbed down version of, of what I do and what I paid a lot of money to get education and trained to do mm-hmm. and so yeah three years ago I would have pretty much laughed in your face uh, about that uh, however you know things change and lots of things going on in in the world itself and in my life and professionally that ultimately brought me to a place you know about a year and a half ago where you know I stuck the flag in the sand and said from here on out I'm I'm a coach (laughs) and so I mean outside of my kind of narrow uh, work environment and people that know me, you know, as a counselor, educator, or a therapist, but in, anywhere else, you know, I tell them that, that I'm a, a life coach for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you make that transition from one to the other? I mean, what was the catalyst for that? So, I think a big part of it was looking at the the realities of of what it takes to earn an income as a per fee session counselor in terms of the hours that any one person is able to put in versus what's ethical in terms of the hours that you put in every week. I just realized that a couple things were going to need to change and change dramatically for that to generate the income that I was going after. Mm-hmm. So either you have to work way more hours than what you can keep up with, Mm -hmm. which means you're having to track way more clients than probably is what humanly possible to do. Or you have to charge a lot more money per session Mm -hmm. uh, in order to, you know, for me, just kind of looking at it. So, you know, when I work with folks that are developing their practices and and I still love doing that, right. Mm -hmm. And, And I made this 
pivot into coaching, that doesn't mean it's the right pivot for, for everybody. Right. And so there's, we'll talk about that later on, I'm sure, but there's room for, for both uh, disciplines in, in out there in, in the big world. But you know, when, when I talk to people who are starting out, you know, I, 20 to 30 hours is, is full time. And, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and to do more than that, it's not just an hour in session, right? As you know, like every client that you have that's active um, generates time away from the in session hour mm-hmm. that you're having to attend to that case that you aren't necessarily, I mean, you are getting paid for it given the per session fee, but you're not really getting paid when you have to answer the phone call or talk to lawyer, lawyers or go to school meetings or whatever, whatever those ancillary activities are that are come with the boat that come with uh, doing the work. So, sure. so that, that was a big part of it. It was kind of looking at the, the reality of it in terms of uh, income stream and pretty much deciding that there's got to be a better way. Um, and so part of that was doing supervision. So I think supervision is a, is a better way to, you know, in a traditional way to leverage the, the training and experience and education um, to earn more income. Sure. So clinical supervision, for those who don't know, why don't you explain that a little bit? Sure. So there's a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through. Right? And so going to, be, to school to is one <laughs> to be a therapist, right? Uh, going to school is one hoop, right? And probably even getting into school is probably a hoop, right? You got to get into school and then you got to go to school and then you got to finish school. And then once you're finished, you have a handful of choices, but no matter what the choice is, you have to enter into a supervision agreement or contract with somebody who is endorsed by the state that you're working in as being certified and authorized to do clinical supervision. Mm -hmm. And so you and I, that last round of schooling that we did together, that was part of the training that we got was clinical supervision. It was a two part course and um, the state then authorizes and allows people like us to, to be supervisors. Yeah. So then you chose to do that quite a bit more than you did individual therapy. Absolutely. I I really scaled back the number of direct clients that I was serving, you know, pretty much to zero. And the the only way that I would take a client is if somebody in my network uh, referred them to me as kind of a, this is one that Nick needs to look at, or, you know, they've been through X amount of therapists before this. Let's see if Nick is able to help them out. That's pretty much the only way that I would take uh, clients in, in that phase. And, you know, 99% of it was clinical super, supervision. Yeah. So then you decided, okay, I, I need to do something different. I, let me go back a little bit mm-hmm. to clinical supervision. So one of the great things about clinical supervision is your impact is greater, mm-hmm. right? Than it would right. be with just an individual client. You're actually impacting a therapist and all of their clients. Absolutely. Yes. So that's kind of, that's a, that's a benefit, something Mm -hmm. you'd really, I would imagine was like a driving force for you when you were moving. I I know it was for me when I moved Mm -hmm. toward clinical supervision as opposed to individual therapy, because just the impact that you, you know, that you're able to have on people and and communities and families and yeah, it's bigger. And, And I think another thing that's going alongside of me in a different part of my world was my you know, work for the state where in this phase I was doing a lot of training and I was doing a lot of coaching and mentoring of new staff and providing program consultation 
and getting good feedback, having fun doing that and, you know, generating skill and experience and working with adults in a meaningful way that wasn't therapy. So that was definitely going on uh, as well during this process when I was pretty much shifted entirely to clinical supervision in terms of the clinical work that I was doing. So those are definitely two things that were shaping me during, during this phase. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit about the catalyst for this change was finances or like your earning potential. Mm -hmm. Were there other catalysts for the change? Yeah. I mean, I grew disillusioned with the mental health system overall and started listening for others that perhaps had a similar uh, frame of mind about it. And and they're definitely out there and got exposed to a couple folks, you know, I don't know if he'll ever listen to anything that I put out, but I do talk a lot about Joe Rogan and his podcast. He's the one that got me uh, to, to fall in love with podcasting, but he's had, uh, I think it's Rhonda Patrick is her name. Uh, it's a psychiatrist, but kind of a disavowed psychiatrist and mm-hmm. was really kind of listening to her and, and that could be wrong. And I know it's a female, but that's the name that popped in my head. Um, and this listening to her kind of talk about a very similar disillusionment with the the medical system and the mental health system and how she you know pivoted into working specifically with women and women health issues uh, in a very different way non-traditional way and so that uh, and I was doing long drives at this point in time I was driving two and three hours up and down you know the i5 here in, in Oregon and so I got to take in you know, interviews with this lady several times and it, it started stirring in me for sure. Uh, and then seeing kind of the underbelly of how uh, therapists really get put through the ringer, mm-hmm. um, even when they really didn't do anything wrong and being exposed to several different cases like that. And so that definitely played a role in watching a friend of mine, watching somebody that I knew and that I had met back in 2009 crash and burn in terms of their life and then seeing them reemerge as a life coach, that really caught my eye. It, it really, it, it really drew me in for whatever reason. So, so I, you know, I would, I would say that, that, you know, my disillusionment over overall with the mental health system and how it works and how it doesn't work, yeah. um, seeing people that I cared about get um, put through the ringer and then watching this other friend of mine reemerge as a, as a powerful life coach. I think that's probably the trifecta of really what got me thinking about it. So what was what was kind of the journey that you went on when you you decided okay this is something I really want to look into this is something I want to change I don't, maybe you didn't know what that change was right maybe you were just I'm going to look into this I'm going to look into some things and do something different mm-hmm. but what was that journey like I mean where did you start and all of that I think a huge part of it is it was a crisis of identity and it's a it's a big thing to to be an established therapist uh meaning that you know probably still right now if you were to google my name you're going to see my name attached to a bunch of things in the clinical world you know either as a as a marriage and family therapist or a counselor educator right i mean i just think about our poor profs, especially at the doctorate level like what do they think about this and whatnot right. and so um so it, it's definitely, it's a, it's a somewhat of an identity crisis, right? And you, and it's kind of like 
you, you can't be kind of pregnant either you are or you aren't and, and so you, you, either I'm a coach or, or I'm not and uh, I decided that uh, that would be an okay thing for me and I would accept uh, the pros and cons in terms of whatever fallout may may come from that mm-hmm. so does that mean that I can't um, very effectively navigate the mental health system because I can. Mm-hmm. It, it still doesn't mean that I can't help other people do what they need or want to do, both as uh, clinicians or as consumers of the mental health system, because mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like I'm. I just forget, you know, those <laughs> two decades of my life. Right. Um, but it, it's more about how do I refer to myself from here on out? Right. Yeah. It's how I talk about what I do. Very in an intentional way. It's very different than um, than what it was in the past. Mm-hmm. Has that been kind of the hardest part of the journey? Is the identity, or has there been something else? It took a while, right? So even even when I decided that that's what I was going to do, it's like how vocal was I uh, about it, right? I mean, people like you, I could you know I could bounce it off casually and not and not have to worry so much uh, about what you're going to think about it, right? But to other clinicians, right, it it is, can be very off putting. Like mm-hmm. you're doing what? you know it's it's like lesser than in in in, in our community i mean in the community that we came up in professionally Mm -hmm. it is it's it's threatening it's scary it's dangerous why would you do that um it's not real Mm -hmm. um you know other obstacles is kind of i'm in a bigger bind so when i would look at you know, and I paid for my own coaching to get my coaching going as well. Right. And so looking at the materials that it takes to kind of get a coaching platform up and coaching program up, um, it, you know, and like your client contract in a coaching world will say, I'm not a psychotherapist. I am not allowed to diagnose yada yada. Well, I am, mm-hmm. <laughs> I am, yeah. I am a psychotherapist and I am allowed to diagnose. So a, a big part of it is, for me was having to kind of philosophically, metaphorically, and then practically separate the two in a way that the, in the way that I feel safe in, meaning that if somebody were to, to come scrutinize what I'm doing in my coaching world versus what I'm doing in my therapy world, would there be enough distinction between the two that, uh, you know, cause that's what I mean by safety in that. So mm-hmm. I had to think through that. And so my, my client contract in the coaching world would say, uh, I am a psychotherapist licensed in the state of Oregon. You are not paying for psychotherapy services. Mm-hmm. You know, the work that we do will not involve mental health, you know, those types of things. So it's more of a kind of a disclaimer clause mm-hmm. that's different than typically you find in the coaching world. That was hard. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. it's pervasive, and it's kind of a continual thing, right? So it's not just one time like, oh, yeah, we're not doing counseling, we're doing coaching. It's, it's actually something that you have to continue to say to people. Yep. I have found that that even, you know, in my coaching, folks, they'll even refer even after months, well, it's really great to be able to go to counseling. I'm like, this is coaching. There's a difference. <laughs> counseling and coaching are different. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit about how those are different? Sure. And this is something that I've thought a lot about, and I I don't have a final conclusion, so to speak, but I, I, I'm further enough along that I feel comfortable talking about it, and it works for me for now. But usually what you do is what you find is you have coaches that that talk about mental health people. And then you have mental health people that talk about coaches. Right. And so you and I are different because 
we're fully acquainted with both, right? And so mm-hmm. I think it puts us in a unique position to be able to really describe and articulate the difference, the compare and contrast from a lived perspective and a you know fully informed, experienced perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my best shot. Uh, and, and I'll just kind of give a couple medical examples on the front end just, just to see um, how they land with folks. But imagine going to your medical doctor and saying, hey, doc, in three years, I want to run an Ironman. Can you help me out? I mean, chances are your medical doctor isn't going to be able to help you out with that in terms of everything that your body's going to go through and you know all those things. But that's that's not what they do. Right, mm-hmm. but you would definitely go to a, an exercise scientist or you know a sports health coach or whatnot and say, "Hey, coach, in three years I want to you know run an Ironman. Can you help me?" Well, yeah, I can help. I can help you. Um, you mm-hmm. need to start doing this, and eating, you know what I mean. <laughs> and so, there's lots of things that I think describe the difference between coaching and, and counseling that, when you ask it like that, makes more sense for folks. So I love that because there's room for both people. Like that, mm-hmm. we need physicians, we need doctors right. to go. Yeah. When you say, hey, can you help me out? Because I just broke my arm. Right. Right. Perfect. Yeah, I can help you with that. And you wouldn't go to the you know nutritional coach to say, hi, can you help me set my arm? Right. Yeah. So I Absolutely. like that. And both are, are needed. All right. So here, here comes my actual thoughts on it. So for those of you that are listening, imagine a piece of paper, right? And a fairly large piece of paper. And then use your mind's eye to draw a line right down the middle of the paper. And we're going to call that line normal or baseline. Okay. And so what that means is all the expectations that you have currently attached to you in, in this life, normal or baseline means that you are not perfect, but pretty much on an everyday basis, on an average basis, you're keeping up with the demands that life is putting on you. So demands being, if you're a parent, are you keeping up with your parent role? If you're in a relationship, are you keeping up, you know, with the, um, the demands of being in a relationship or, you know, if you're connected to your, your family of origin, you know, are you able to maintain those relationships in a, in a way that's, you know, expected of you, your, your work role, you know, the, all of those things that you're doing, you're able to, to meet those demands. Again, not perfect, but on a day-to-day average basis, you're doing pretty okay. So that's what I would call uh, normal or baseline. Now, if you dip below normal uh, in a consistent maybe multiple days, weeks, and months, or maybe dramatically dip down because you can't get out of bed or uh, you think that you're a terrible person and nobody wants to be around you. I mean, those are all things that would manifest as symptoms that our system would say, hey, you probably got a mental health thing going on. Probably got to go see mental health or, or a counselor. And so, the, the job of the mental health system and even the medical system or a counselor or a therapist is to get you back to what you would consider normal or baseline or, or average, right? Mm-hmm. And then once that happens, once your symptoms go away enough, they may not completely go away, but once they go away enough, then ethically it's time to be done with services, right? Or a doctor will deem that you're well enough. I won't say cured, but you're well enough. Right. Mm-hmm. You're and minimally you adequate. Of, minimally adequate. Yes. Right? right. And then you're encouraged to kind of, you know, you don't need the service anymore or insurance will stop paying for it or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they say. Ethically, I can't keep providing intervention or treatment to a, a problem that by diagnosis you're not experiencing anymore. And so that's what I would call 
traditional mental health, counseling, therapy, and medical intervention is to get you back to baseline, to get you to, like I said, minimally adequate in terms of meeting the, the life demands that you currently have on you. So, so coaching would be with that same sheet of paper, right? And, and say you scale it, um, on the left-hand side, and again, baseline or normal is let's just call that ground zero. It's a zero, right? But for whatever reason, you're looking at that ground zero, and you're saying, "I want to notch up this normal or this baseline to like a two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where coaches come into play, right? Because you can't go to therapy because um, you want more ambition in your life. Or you could. And you probably, you probably can, and there's probably people out there that will diagnose that in you mm-hmm. and shame on them, Absolutely. but right. But if you, if you're looking to notch up your baseline, two, three, four, whatever notches, that's where coaches come into play because again, doctors, it's not medically necessary, right? So they're out counselors, you can't ethically diagnose that, you know, maladaptive ambition syndrome or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and so that's really what I see as coaches is coaches are there to help people create new normals for themselves and to elevate their life experience in ways that only a coach can really do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think coaching and mentoring, one of the things that John Maxwell actually says is that he believes that you should, you don't go get coaching or mentoring for things that you are not good at, your weaknesses. Like that's not where you go get coaching for. You get coaching for places that you have strength or you are doing pretty okay. Like I'm good at this. I'm good enough at this and I'm doing all right, but I want to be better at this, Mm -hmm. right? Because the idea of coaching and mentoring is to move people up. I love that. I, I, I just love that picture. That was a great visual. Yeah, I thought about it. And so, like I said, I'll, I'll make it fancier as, as time goes on, but that's, that's kind of where I'm settled at, at this point. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, and again, for me working with people once, you know, as a coach, if I feel like they're dropping below baseline and it's meeting kind of a clinical diagnostic level, then I tell them that, you know, I say, Hey, you need to go see a different practitioner for this because, you, you know, again, even though I can, but this is, this isn't what the agreement and the contract is in terms of what I'm able to do. So. Yeah, I like that. And sometimes actually, I would say moving forward and you're trying to do that, sometimes that brings up things that, you know, make you realize that you're kind of below that line in a different area. Okay, so here you are, you're on this journey. And you have seen a difference in what the, you know, between coaching and therapy or coaching and counseling. Is there something that while you were on this journey that surprised you? There was, uh, I'm, still fairly new into the journey, right? If I'm in all honesty, um, what, what surprises me is some of the final conclusions that both disciplines come to. And, and they're very often very similar, but we just, we talk about them in different ways. And so as I've been learning about coaching and learning from coaching, uh, I'm surprised at the amount of overlap and carryover that exists. And of course, I, I mean, that's got to make sense, right? We're, we're both working with people and there's, uh, you know, people, even though we're, everybody's unique, right. And there's 7 billion of us on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what works with working with people, uh, there, there's good, there's bound to be similarities around that. And so, uh, so the reason why that was stood out to me is because it helped 
me solidify my coaching identity, right? Because I'm not certified. I don't have a, a certification in life coaching. I, I tongue in cheek tell people that I, you know, spent two hundred thousand dollars and you know fifteen years on my certification to be a life coach. Absolutely. <laughs> Right. So there is still kind and of 42 some hesit- years, right? Whatever of life and then plus right. $200,000. Right. Yeah. So there, there can be some hesitancy at times on my part to think to my, am I, am I understanding this coaching stuff? And then, and then hearing like, Oh, I know exactly what that is in terms of uh, the, the concept and the way that we had it explained to us. Right. And sure. so that's been kind of fun to, to kind of be more open to that and not necessarily see that as a hurdle that, um, you know, the crossover is there and you just have to sometimes wade through it to have it anchor into things that you've already been exposed or I've already been exposed to in my training and education experience. Mm -hmm. So you did though, go seek your own coaching. Absolutely. So tell me how you did that and why you did that. And how did you find a good coach and how did you know it was a good coach and all of that stuff? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So again, borrowing from, things that we got trained in as counselors is that, you know, you can't expect a a client or a patient to do anything that you're not willing to do for yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in the coaching world, you're asking people to invest in themselves in in a big way, not just with money, but in terms of, you know, being brutally honest with yourself and um, time. And so again, as I'm trying to connect with other people as a coach, if I haven't done, if I hadn't had my own coaching experience, then it's phony, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a sham and whatnot. So, um, so there was that. And there was also when I was sitting at uh, First Steps for Success or um, creating a dynasty with, with Danny Johnson mm-hmm. and understanding my particular personality, um, she said very loud and clear from the stage, uh, every Ruby needs a coach and then explained why that was. And I was very much convicted in that time that I needed to find a coach. How did you do that? How did I find a coach? Yeah. Yeah. So when she said that, uh, you know, from, from the stage, a picture immediately popped in my head and it was of a coach named Bradley Grinnan. And I point a lot of people to him and he, I met him in 2009 at a men's retreat that was sponsored through uh, my church and spent a weekend with Bradley uh, back in 2009. And ever since then, you know, would maintain uh, messaging type contact with him. But somewhere along the way, I saw him rebrand and reemerge as a life coach. And again, I was like, <laughs> what is this guy doing? Right. And so, uh, but seeing him being consistent and having his presence on social media. So then when I was sitting in the seminar and being told every, every person like me needs a coach, uh, it's his face that popped into my head. So I reached out to him for, for coaching. Interesting. What have you gained out of coaching that perhaps you would not have gained from a therapist? And and going back to the way that I described the metaphor, right? Um, Right. It, it's kind of accountability is something that's different in coaching um, a lot different than what I ever taught or whatever I ever experienced uh, for counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a coach is going to hold you accountable in a way that uh, a therapist just couldn't ethically. Yeah. And so that was, that was huge. That was different. And it's, 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 I think it's different to embrace fear or to take risk 
for creating a new normal than it is to return to baseline. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, I wasn't, I wasn't going into coaching because I was, you know, experiencing depression or anxiety or whatever, whatever sure. labels you want to give it. You know, uh, I was, I looked at the things in my life that um, I could edit, identify as barriers to reaching the goals that I had. And that's what I took the coaching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's how coaching works, right? I mean, uh, I know you asked a second ago, how do you find a good coach? Well, well uh, ethics still applies to coaching as well. And so uh, a good coach is going to tell you, yes, I can help you with that or no, I can't. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, Bradley definitely said it. I can help you with those things. And uh, we worked together and I made a lot of progress in, in those areas, more, more progress than that I know that I would have uh, in counseling because I, I know the process. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, especially for therapists, I mean, I, I really wonder about, I know for me, it's been the case. I did not do well going to therapists. I even spoke at a national conference one time. Um, it was called um, Smoking What You're Selling. That's what I, that was the, the, the title of my, um, my talk at this national conference, because it is so hard for therapists to go to counselors those of us who have that education in therapy are oftentimes unassessable, right? Like mm-hmm. we can't be yeah. assessed very well mm-hmm. because we know what words to say and how to how to present ourselves, how to be okay or not okay or yeah, and we're also no matter how hard we try not to, we're assessing or evaluating the therapist that's sitting across from us. Right. And we're frankly, people that have as much education in this area as you or I do, we are intimidating. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just yeah. are, right? I mean, that that yeah. sounds terrible, but it's true. I mean, we're just intimidating to other therapists unless they have a lot of experience with that. Mm-hmm. And then and they can walk through that. But but when you go into a coaching world, it's very different because I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that the process of that. I've not been trained in that. I don't know mm-hmm. what to expect. And so I go in a much better client. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but finding, in my experience, finding right, a qualified life coach was very difficult. Because, you know, you can go online and everybody in their, right. you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> their neighbor yeah. is a life yeah. coach yep. of some sort. I mean, how do you, do you know more of that? Like, how do you find that? It's very familiar. Again, here's a crossover, right? It's the same way that when people come to you and I, Wendy, for looking for a therapist, right? Well, um, well, we know, we know who's out there, or or at least we have a good idea. And so we can point people in the right direction. So how do you find a good coach? Well, find somebody that's been coached, Mm -hmm. right? So even if somebody comes to me and of course, I'm going to say, well, talk to Bradley, right? So you're, you're going to get on a call with Bradley and if he can't help you, he's going to tell you who can't. Because he knows that. Mm-hmm. those people because yeah the network there right so that's one way uh, ask your friends ask your coworkers. hey have you have you ever you know hired somebody to be your coach and just keep asking that question until you find somebody that says yes mm-hmm. and chances are you're going to be you know off in the in a, in a good direction but you're right it can be dangerous doing a, a blind internet search or social media search because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there uh, who are trying to make a quick buck off the off coaching and that's unfortunate, right? That, mm-hmm. That's out there for sure. But uh, work your network. Yeah. And so speaking of your network, mm-hmm. how did your network change when you went through this kind of a transition? 
Well, naturally, I started connecting more with people that were in the coaching world. And that happened to be the first person that I interviewed on my podcast was a was a fellow coach to Cami Kennedy, uh, Mexicano. She just got married. I just enjoy the heck out of her. And that was scary and intimidating for me, uh, for sure, because I knew that I wanted to use my podcast to help push forward my coaching platform and get people exposed to who I am and the way I work and my take on on things like mindset and core values and all that kind of stuff. And so I started reaching out to other coaches that looked like they were active and just said, hey, would you like to be on my podcast? And gave it's him my scary, scheduling right? Link. It is scary. Uh, and she doesn't know this. Uh, or maybe she does. I can't remember if I prompted her before we did it. But um, she signed up for the next day. <laughs> Yeah, so day one, I invited her. She signed up for the next day, and I'm like, "Oh man, I don't know if I'm ready for this." <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have any of the gear set up like I do now. And uh, but you know, I went to bed thinking, oh, "I'm just going to cancel," and then something said, "No, just go for it." And and and, and I'm so glad that I did. But um, if you're going to turn to social media, right? There are coaches out there. An, an easy way to kind of sift through the BS is, you know, coaches that'll say things like, you know, get the results that you want in 90 days, you know, you know, quit working with losers and work with the best and, you know, pictures of Lamborghinis and private jets and, and all that stuff. And that's an automatic dead giveaway that they're full of crap. Right. Absolutely. And so if everything that they post is purely a pitch to come work with them, then move on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're probably not the people that you want to work with. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah, somebody that looks authentic and rings true to you. And all of that is so important when you're finding a coach. But I do want to ask a little bit more about your support system Mm -hmm. and the system that you brought around you in this and, you know, working with other coaches. Sure. Who is it besides other coaches? I mean, have there been other people that you brought into your circle to kind of help you grow and change and Mm -hmm. speak truth to you? And Mm -hmm. how have you done this? Has it been in person or in, you know, virtually or how does that work? Yeah. And so a big part of my support is, is still virtual and it comes through a mastermind that I've been a part of for uh, about a year and a half. And that's called the Dad's Edge Alliance. So it's a, it's a group for fathers that are looking to you know, leave a positive fatherhood legacy. And so uh, there's about 300 of us that are in the, the mastermind, uh, but inside that group are just men that are wanting to do, you know, big things with their lives. And so that helps, you know, iron sharpen iron, um, sharing ideas, sharing encouragement. I mean, we call and text each other all the time. People are, you know, genuinely interested in what's going on, you know, through this COVID stuff, you know, there's mm-hmm. been just a ton of support and, and reach out. And there's, you know, several coaches in this as well in this mastermind. So it's good to be able to connect with them to see what they're doing, helping people with their websites and vice versa, getting help with your website. So that's been, that's been a big part of it. Um, I think the people that I've, that I've worked with, that I've helped them transition, you know, from counselor to coach, you know, they end up being part of uh, the support group as well. And that's, that's really helpful. That's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. The gentleman that I share an office with at work, um, he and I have the same titles. He's exposed to whether he wants to or be or not, everything that I'm doing coaching wise. And we'll ask questions. We'll, we have good dialogue about things. Um, so, and he's very supportive. I get to share my wins and losses with him. 
and uh he he's very appreciative he's very encouraging mm-hmm. um my wife my my kids mm-hmm. you know they're a, a huge support and i but you know i'm the type of personality that i i, I just i need little doses of support here and there and I, you know I, I i keep plugging along and whatnot but mm-hmm. uh, uh Here's the other thing that when you jump into the coaching world, you have to wade through all the cliches, right? And so, you know, you're the product of the five people that you spend the most time with, right? Mm-hmm. And so I spend time with with other people that I look up to, even though I've never met them, right? And mm-hmm. so you mentioned John Wack Maxwell, you know, I, I take in John Maxwell material any time that I can, mm-hmm. right? And so people that uh, are inspiring to me that, like I said, that I've never met, I'm plugged into them you know, daily, maybe weekly, but, you know, consistently. So I would, I would fold them into my support group as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that kind of does bring us to personal development, right? So I would love to hear your perspective on this because I have a perspective on this. Um, What did you know about personal development as a therapist versus what you know now as a coach? It's different for sure. Like, you know, in therapy, we talk about having to do your own therapy in order to be an effective, effective therapist. Right. But again, if you're talking about returning people to baseline, then, you know, to be an effective therapist, you only have to operate at baseline, your baseline, right? It's not necessarily stretching and prodding you and and growing you to, to achieve more. So that's kind of the platform that perhaps may come natural, right? So you, you could, you can get more certifications and training and, but, Again, personal development probably would have is a phrase that for counselors and clinicians, we kind of again it's a little bit repulsive. Like, what do you mean by that? You know, and I would have sounds, no idea what that meant. Right. I, honestly, well, not what I know now. I would not mm-hmm. have known honestly that this world existed that much, or there was an option for it. it and I have a fairly established, you know, sports background, right? And so I, I can hear the things that, you know, Hall of Fame type athletes would say. But then you think you look at those types of people and they're so far away and removed from you that you don't think about applying, you know, what they said to your own life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Or you 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 look at people that are successful in business, right? And again, you just kind of you think, yeah, well, that's them. Well, they got lucky, you know, uh, that just kind of fell to them. And that's, that's not how it happens at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but yeah, personal development uh, up until about a couple of years ago, yeah, I, I would have said that given what we've done with our careers to this point, you know, obviously we did engage in a, in a fair share of personal development. Uh, but I think when the, when the target and objective is different, then we don't really see it for, for what it is. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I would love to hear some advice that you would have for, well, maybe for counselors who want to do more or move, maybe move towards the coaching field. I mean, what are some words of wisdom you have for them? But also there might be people out there who aren't therapists who want to move in a different direction in their life, right? And that's kind of what you do. For sure. It's your yep. thing. Maybe they're in a great job, but they want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I believe mindset is everything, right? Meaning that no matter what it is that you want to do with your life, the knowledge already exists for how to do it, right? Tens, hundreds, thousands of people have already done what you're trying to do, right? So it's possible, it's out there, 
there's maps, there's blueprints, uh, but it's your own mindset is what holds anybody back. And that, that, that's my belief. So to answer both of those, you know, maybe a counselor that's considering coaching or somebody who's not a counselor is trying to do more with their life is figure out why you want to do something different. Like what's, you know, again, in the coaching world, what's your why, right? But it's important. It's so important. Right. I I would just say that in the counseling world, that's important. And we don't know it. Yeah. Or we don't talk about it that way. That was always one of my first questions I would ask new students, right? Sure. I would ask them, why do you want to be a counselor? And it was kind of mean because I would just be ready to pounce on them. (laughs) Because, again, you ask that question to to most counselors, especially counselors in training. Why do you want to be a counselor? Well, I'm a nice person and my friends tell me all their problems and people say that I'm, I'm a good listener. And, and I'm like, yeah, you and every other person has ever wanted to be a counselor. So why do you want to be a counselor? Right. What, what is it that really drives you? You know, okay, I have to tell this. This is just a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> this is my very favorite answer. So I asked the question too. I'd ask a lot of, you know, with students. So why do you want to be a therapist? This is the answer. Well, I've been to a lot of therapy. And well, it didn't look that hard. So I just thought I'd do it. God bless them. God bless them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You finding your why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's for, again, you're going to, you're going to get this from my personal personality perspective, right? Set big goals, right? If you're, if your goals aren't going to move and push you and keep you accountable, then you're just wasting everybody's time. You're wasting your time. You're wasting if you're hiring a coach, you're wasting their time. So you got to have big goals. You've got to have things that, you know, as and I'm a big Brendan Burchard fan, right? Mm. And so um, you got to win days to win weeks, to win months, to win years. And that was totally my life where I wasn't winning days. And then you wonder where the years go, right? And so uh, just getting really clear on how you win days every single day. And for me, that's doing everything that I can possibly to start my day off with a solid, you know, morning routine is huge. You know, ultimately it's answering that question. You know, when you leave this earth, what do you want to have people remember you for and by, you know, when, when they, when they recall um, your life, you know, around the dinner table or a campfire or however they, they start talking about you after you gone, what do you want them to say about you? Mm -hmm. Right. That's a why. It's and, absolutely I, you why. Know, and, and I believe that we're put here for a purpose, right? And uh, unfortunately, uh, too many of, of us never find that purpose or they, they, they had it in front of them and they let it go. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's a, that's a big part is recognizing that, you know, my, my whole platform is for, for coaching. And I know, I think we're going to get into this is, yeah. you know, I call what I do the upgraded life and, helping people realize and reach their potential is mm-hmm. kind of where it starts for me because in my career, especially in youth corrections, I would see these kids that would, that would turn into the largest youth correctional facility in the state and the vast majority, if not all of them, let's just say that all of them uh, had tremendous potential that just people didn't invest in them. Or if they did, a lot of other things got in the way. And so I just, I just saw wasted potential and it got to the point to where it was just 
too much to take, right? And mm -hmm. whether it's art or sports or music or, you know, theater, I would see these kids that came in and had tremendous ability and it just got squandered and wasted. And so I, you know, those of us that would see that in them would help kind of kindle that up and get it going and get it lit. And, you know, some of them would take off. Mm -hmm. And so realizing and reaching your potential is a, is a huge part of it. So I think the vast majority of people walk around this, this earth, not living up to their potential and not from a, a parental, what are you going to do with your life? You know, don't be a loser, but no, I mean, you were put here for a reason. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is and what are you doing to uh, realize that in a meaningful way every single day? Those are some good words there, Dr. Stello. <laughs> so thank you for all of those good words. But before I, you know, I'm going to ask you those three questions that yeah. are coming up, but before I do that, I want to give you a chance now to tell everybody about what you're doing, how we can connect with you. I'll put it in the show notes too, but just tell us how about the upgraded life a little bit more and how people can connect with you. Absolutely. So the, what, what I want people to, to do is find me on my podcast, the upgraded life podcast, and it's on eight different platforms, but I'll just save it. Uh, you know, Apple it's on Apple podcasts. It's on Spotify. <laughs> it's on uh, Google podcasts. So definitely go there and, and check me out on the podcast. You can find me on social media on Facebook, just by my name, Nick Sotelo, and I'm pretty consistent with putting content out there. If you send me a message, I'll you know be sure to get back to you probably the same day. And I do have a website, www.nicksotelo.com. It's really just a placeholder. And it's under construction and getting it tuned up, but I do have a vision for that to you know have resources for people and be able to to download free and also paid resources there. But definitely check out my podcast. That's what I'm most excited about, and that's how I see me being able to get my word and message and my ability to impact in this world is through the podcast. It's a great podcast. Thank you. I listen to it faithfully. So thank you very, very much. I hope lots of people check out what you have. And actually, your placeholder of a website is pretty good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's yeah, a great yeah, website. Yeah. Okay, so here's my three questions that I ask everybody. Sure. Tell us a pivotal event that changed you. Wow. Just got to pick one, huh? Mm, um, there's a lot. I know. So talk about smoking what you're selling. and. One of the other reasons why I went back to work in the trenches, so to speak, at McLaren, I had been away for eight years, right? And we, you know, we kind of jokingly like call that parole, like I paroled and then people were shocked that I went back. Yeah. And I get you know, the question asked of me, why, why did you come back? And part of the answer is because I, I want to be from a leadership perspective, the resource that I wanted or and at times desperately needed when I was young in my career. Yeah. Uh, both in time invested in, in chronologically, I was 21, 22 years old. And so I wanted to come back in and invest in the staff in the way that we just don't do a very good job of as a state agency. So part of what I do is I write encouragement notes almost on a daily basis. And I put them on little you know state um, cards and I pop them in our mail system. And, and I know it sounds whatever the way, it, whatever it sounds, but I popped one in the mail one day and a couple of days later I got an email say, Hey, I'd like to talk to you. And I, I wasn't putting two and two together. 
And so I met this person and they said, you know, I've, I've been working here for almost 30 years and I have never had anybody do that. S- send me a card just out of the blue, um, uh, showing appreciation. Wow. So that's something in the kind of the more recent here and now, but wh- why that changed me is because it was just another example of how a simple, small gesture that, that anybody can do at any time, you, you just don't know the impact that that could have. Right. And we, and we look at those small things and we think, Oh, what's the point? Nobody's going to really care about that, but you just never know. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's those small uh, gestures over time, small movements that lead to big things. And Absolutely. I mean, I should have immediately said, yeah, that's why I do it. But I was shocked, right. That mm-hmm. nobody had ever, you know, taken the time to say, Hey, good job. Or I really appreciate this. And for him at this moment, it was about showing leadership, you know, on his living unit. Cause it was a rocky time and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I just said, I appreciate your leadership, uh, hang in there. You know, your work is worth it. Something to that effect. So, wow. That's a big event. I mean, that's a pivotal event. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second question is a person who changed you. I'm going to, I'm going to go with my youth pastor. I'm going to give a nod to all of those in in youth ministry. And so I had a a youth pastor that was infamous in my high school. He was about eight years older than me and definitely left a a legacy, so to speak, a a legacy of infamy. And, but he got his life on track and became our youth pastor. And there were some very concerned parents during this era, but, uh, he spoke into my life consistently for about six years. Mm. And, and, and when I talk about personal development, right, when I look back on that time, that's definitely what was going on for me, even though I wouldn't have called it, you know, we would probably call that mentorship or whatnot. Um, and just giving the, the, what do they call that? The, the tough love. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you think about people who, you know, we'll, we'll reach out and say, Hey, I'm, I've been thinking and praying for you. He, he was that for a while, but especially through that critical area era of my life and transitioning from teen to young adult to adult and, and career. He actually helped me introduce to folks that courted me to be, to go work for the Oregon youth authority for sure. So, wow. so Josh, if you're listening, I uh, appreciate you, man. That's great. Sounds like somebody important. Mm-hmm. All right. And the last question is a book that changed you. Okay, so I know, I'll tell you, the reason I'm asking this question, the reason I'll ended up here anyway, is because of you, <laughs> because you challenged, really, really were challenging to me to start reading much more than I had in, I don't know, a very long time, if ever, because <laughs> I have said before on my podcast, actually, I've said that I, I kind of gave up reading after going to school. I was like, okay, I've read enough in yep. my life. I don't want to read anymore. Yeah. So let me talk about reading as a coach before I tell you what, what my book is. Yes, I'll, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So you, you'll hear people that will say things like, oh, I'm sick of reading personal development. They all say the same things. Or responding to me, right? Because last year I read what 88 books or something like that. Well, did you learn anything? How do you remember everything that you, that you read? Um, I couldn't do that. And then I'll say things like, well, I do some audio. Wow. I can't listen to books on audio. Uh, Okay. Right. So 
for me, reading is about keeping my mind exposed to things that it needs to be exposed to. So I don't go into reading or listening to a book to, to learn like most people think about learning. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we present books to people and say, Hey, read this, we trigger all of these uh, meanings. I'm trying not to use psychological terms, right? Uh, we trigger all these schemas, right? Um, whether we're conscious of it or not, which is books are meant to be read and learned from and studied because I'm going to have to take a quiz or exam at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And so I tell, try to get people to chuck that idea out of your head, right? <laughs> Um, just try to erase it. And it's like going to the gym, right? You're listening to this person. If it's audiobook, you know, tell you good things, great things, expose you to great ideas because it's just good for your, for your mind. It's good for your brain. So that's what kind of drove me to, to, to get through 88 books last year. Yeah. I love does that. that. Makes, yeah. Does it, that make sense? it does. Yeah. And uh, John Maxwell, he wrote a book called Think on These Things, right? Mm -hmm. And basically, that's what he says, too. It's just mm -hmm. that we just have to expose ourselves to those mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Right. Because by default, <clears throat> we expose ourselves to all kinds of things that just aren't good for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm big on putting people on media diets when I work with people. Be very careful about the media that you are intentionally taking in because it it has an impact. It'll it'll shape Absolutely the way you think. It'll does. shape the way you believe about yourself and other people. And that's what it's designed to do, mm -hmm. right? It's designed to to shape people. So, mm -hmm. all right, okay, the so book, book, the book, the book, the book. So, and I'll just pick probably the number one book that I recommend at this point from a coaching perspective mm -hmm. um, is Chop Wood, Carry Water by Chris Metcalf. Okay. Why? What? How did it change you? Because it it's a, um, oh, they have a term for it and I'm going to escape what it is. Um, but there's basically in the, in the personal development world, there's basically two types. There's, there's books that uh, are read or teach by parable. And then there's basically how to manuals. Right. And mm -hmm. so this was definitely more parable based mm -hmm. and it'll teach you patience. Right. It'll teach you everything that you need to know or learn about the personal development process, even if you aren't aware of it as you're reading it, right? And um, so if you're reading it with a coach um, or with a, within a mastermind or within a mentor relationship, uh, you'll, you'll get more out of it. Uh, but I, you know, the folks that I've coached that I've pointed that book to and have marched them through it, and when they'll say things like, well, how many times do I have to do this before? And I'll just look at them and say, chop wood, carry water. And then <laughs> we'll get a giggle out of it. And uh, But basically, it's that idea that uh, in order to get anywhere uh, that you need to be in this life, it comes down to doing the basic things every single day, which in this book's context is they didn't have running water and the only heat source was firewood. So every day you had to chop wood and, and carry go water. get carry water every single day. If you want to survive. So, if you want to survive, right? Yeah. <laughs> You got to chop wood, carry water right. and not to give the book away, but uh, the, the main character in the book would see other people that were coming to where they were at to, to get the same thing. And they would come through at different paces and, and quicker than he was. And he would get frustrated and his master would tell him chop wood, carry water. <laughs> and so, uh, right. so it's about patience. It's about being focused on doing the things that really matter and being, becoming detached from outcomes right? That if you're doing, if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, it will come to you. That's so great. I'm going to read that book. 
And there's a sequel to it called Pound the Stone, but definitely start with Chop Wood, Carry Water, and then Pound the Stone is a good sequel to it. All right. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being here with us, with me. Thanks for sharing this time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was it was fun. And I look forward to hearing more from you. And everybody out there needs to be uh, listening for your all of your podcasts and subscribe. Absolutely. So thanks again. All right. Thank you. So those were some good words, Dr. Satello. Thank you. A great conversation with a good friend. I particularly loved the distinction he made between counseling and coaching. This was such a good visual. Counselors have the ability to bring people up to the adequate line, to a place of functioning well. And actually, there are times in most people's lives when we need this. We need somebody to help us get back to normal. But coaches? Coaches get to take their people from that line, from the normal and functioning line, to develop and grow into who they were made to be. And I love this. This is why I love coaching, seeing people move beyond minimally adequate into thriving to essentially better life, the upgraded life. This excites me so much. So do you need a coach? Are you doing okay? Pretty normal. But maybe you have barriers that are getting in the way of you reaching your real potential. Seriously, think about finding a life coach or a mastermind group. Invest in yourself reach out and do it. You know, another thing that Nick talked about at the very end, just in passing, but it stuck with me, is the truth that we are the product of the five people we spend the most time with. Have you thought about that before? I have. But for some reason, this time it made me stop and think, who am I consistently exposing myself to? Do I want to be like them? Think like them? Act like them? Earn like them? Who would I like to expose myself to? I have been pondering who I would want to be in my top five. So I decided to make a list of the people I want to be intentionally exposing myself to in person. I mean, the people I have personal relationships with, right? And a list of the top five people that I want to expose myself to online or in the online world. Of course, John Maxwell is on that list, of course. I've started to evaluate each day the time I expose myself to positive and forward-moving people. One question I ask myself is if I have people who are speaking into all areas of my life, emotional, physical, relational, spiritual, professional, all different areas. I want to be well-rounded and be surrounding myself with good. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible, it's Philippians 4.8, that says, Dear brothers and sisters, One final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now that is a good word. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you allowing to speak into your life on a consistent basis? Do you have a mentor or coach that can help you find and reach your real potential, your purpose? Are you seeking out people who can speak wisdom and growth over and into your life? Find good people in person and in the virtual world to help you. 
Like Nick said, it'll help you win days, to win weeks, to win months, to win years. You have a fabulous life to live. Go live it well. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.